Can you sing your da da song? Da 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 Where's my loud baby? We like to be loud in this house. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> Say hi, Daddy. <laughs> Say hi. Oh. It's you. You're in a dress. <laughs> Give me a kiss. No? <laughs> yeah. I'm Diana Sugg of the Baltimore Sun. Welcome to episode five of The Wait. We're visiting with reporter Yvonne Wanger in her North Baltimore row home. It's right before Christmas, the first one for Yvonne and her husband Artie as parents of Adeline. She was a few weeks old last year, but still a foster child. They adopted her in June and after all this, are officially a family. When you first started your journey on the way to becoming parents, um, you guys had talked about how quiet it was in your house. Maybe you can tell us uh, what the routine is like now. The house is definitely never quiet uh, anymore, and that is such a relief. We have very full and busy house with Adeline and the boys, uh, our former foster sons come back to visit and the house is just kind of bursting with energy and excitement. As foster parents, we could never predict what would be happening beyond like six weeks to six weeks because the court hearings for the boys were typically scheduled about every six weeks and there was just, you know, over the course of two years, there were so many of them. And I just, it was everything from not knowing how to schedule your vacation if we wanted to go on a trip, like how many people would be with us. So it was really unsettling to kind of live in this uncertain place. But now that we have Adeline, it's like Artie and I get to go we get to go out to dinner and we get to talk about things like what school we want to send her to. And it's just really exciting to be in a new um, in a new place where we can dream about the future. And I feel like I'm really in control of our lives again. It also sounds like in the last year you're starting to see a different side of your husband, Artie, that you didn't know was there. Yeah, I get to see Artie as a dad. So... He and I, we met when I was, when we were both in our 20s, uh, and I've got to see him grow into the man that he is today. But what I never knew was how wonderful he would be at being a dad. He just, like, I, I like to talk and I like to plan and Artie likes to play and he likes to laugh and he has just endless amounts of fun with the kids and and I absolutely love seeing the playful and joyful side of him. Artie, we're really happy to, to hear you today. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your days with Adeline because of your work shift, you're with her a lot during the day. Usually our day um, starts when I come home and I believe our nanny who kind of bridges a gap in between her, uh, Yvonne going to work and me coming home. Then we will usually either go run errands or go out to the park um, or go for a walk. Um, 
I love Starbucks, take her up there. And I love going to the park with her. We also like to sit on the porch and clap at buses. Every single bus that goes by, she absolutely loves to, uh, to clap every time one goes by. It's great. But she loves to socialize. Um, new people, it doesn't matter you know, how old the kids are. She likes to follow them around and kind of see what's going on. So I can see in the future that she's really going to like making friends and being around people. I don't know how we did it. We've got one of the most outgoing little babies that I've ever seen. And she's, she's going to be a blessing on the world, I know, when she grows up and that personality comes out. <laughs> Hi, Angel. Oh. Can you say wow? Can you say wow? She also, she really loves music and dancing. I felt like almost as soon as she was sitting up on her own, she was swaying to the music. Weren't you? <laughs> I don't know. We can't wait to get her into some dance classes because... Of all of the parts of our personality, I just, dancing and our love of music is so prominent. <laughs> she she just, uh, no matter what, sometimes Artie will put on some good kind of music with like good beat on his phone and she'll just, she'll start moving and grooving. She'll just rock out. Um, but I, I was thinking like, we have such a um, a connection with each other. I just long to um, physically be be near her. I guess most parents probably feel that way. Um, it's just like she just gives us so much joy and love, and I want to do everything to give it back to her. I was thinking about this interview that I had listened to a long time ago with Toni Morrison, you know, one of the great authors, and she had said that a child will never have to wonder if he or she is loved if your eyes light up when they walk into the room. And I realized that I had that with my parents and my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and I want to make sure that we're communicating our love to Adeline and in every way from the time that we spend together to the reaction that we give when we see each other I want to make sure that she feels loved and supported and we can continue to build on this natural confidence that she has has there been anything tough about being Adeline's mom and dad? I think there's a lot of big adjustments that you have to make as a new parent. Balancing motherhood and my job has been challenging, um, as it is for every working parent. Uh, I would say something else that's unique to um, parenting uh, our daughter is Artie and I are both white and Adeline is African-American so I've had to learn a lot about doing her hair there are kind of endless comments what what like well well-meaning comments um, when we're out in public people will say now do you uh, you know you got to do her hair like do you have any questions about doing her hair and so I spend a lot of time watching YouTube, reading blogs, and like asking friends about products and styles and, you know, how soon should I braid her hair, you know, because you don't want to damage the hair follicles. 
and you don't want to do the styles too tight so it's been a learning curve um, but I I have a lot of fun doing it because I always wanted a daughter um, I love dressing her up right is that it is that daddy is that daddy what's it been like for you to do Adeline's hair Artie it's been interesting because I've got some people at work that are always kind of checking to see what kind of hairstyles we're doing and um, recommending different products for her hair. I'm constantly showing pictures of what Yvonne may have done recently or what it looks like and getting tips from people as to how, you know, what stuff works the best, what kind of hair products we need to put in the hair. And for Yvonne so far, it's been an A+, plus, I think. I don't think we've had too many bad bad days when I've shown the pictures off. Um, but it's it's interesting, and I, I love her hair to death. Artie, did you ever imagine yourself uh, doing a little girl's hair just, just a year or two ago? Could you ever see yourself? No, I couldn't. Um, and that's been interesting, too. Um, <laughs> I think growing up, I always thought I was going to have a boy first. I don't know. There's no... I don't, it's just been such a great ride. I, I really don't even think about that anymore. It's just having a little girl and suiting her needs is just fine with me. Um, she's a great companion all the time. And so far, she's gone to a lot of Orioles games and has learned how to clap and stuff. So she's adapting to what I like, too, which is great. And as the season progressed from opening day on, you could tell that she knew what was going on on the field, which was just amazing to me. She would start clapping. Sometimes she'd clap for the wrong team. But... <laughs> But that's okay because she's clapping and learning. How many games does she go to? Uh, 24, I think. <laughs> what are you guys learning um, as a white couple now raising an African-American little girl? Artie and I are both taking some really deliberate steps to make sure that we're raising Adeline to be black in America with all of the tools that she will need as best as we can understand it. And we're trying to learn from friends and family members and books and podcasts and especially paying attention to what young people of color say their experience has been when they are raised by white parents. So I've spent a lot of time seeking out their voices and I think some of the most important messages that I've heard are making sure that she has the role models that she needs and that she's in a place where she's not the only African-American. You know, we intend to stay living in Baltimore City where we are now. And of course, it's a majority-minority city. A lot of transracial families, well, specifically white parents, are encouraged to seek out opportunities to be the only white person in a setting so you know what it feels like to be the only one. So I'm trying to be really aware of that. And there's other tips which are like, go to churches that are majority black. So we intend on doing some of that stuff with Adeline. Um, I always kind of thought that I knew what this country was about and recently. I don't think I know it as well as I used to. And um, so the issues she's going to be facing are going to be very, very strong. And we have got a, a lot of work in educating her as to what 
her race means in society today. I don't really think about her race every single day. It's kind of been a situation where I've just gotten used to father and daughter going out and doing the things that you normally do. Um, I think the best that we can do is just show her that there's so much good in diversity. And for example, we plan on taking her to Mondawmin Mall to get pictures with Santa because that's the only area that has a black Santa, which, I mean, I think that's a little bit sad that she doesn't have more options, um, which just goes to show that a lot of times you don't really realize an absence of something if you're not that person. I think the plan for Yvonne and I is to make sure that she's educated in all of the great things that are going on out there. Um, Something very important to us is is the idea of the role models, and among them is one of Adeline's godmothers is African-American, one of my best friends, and she is an incredible resource and friend to me, and she just spoils Adeline, and I want Adeline to see herself in her godmother. I want her to grow up to be like her, successful, strong, compassionate, loving. So some other considerations are we want to make sure that her bookshelf is stacked with authors of lots of different backgrounds. And we want to make sure that her books and her toys and the iconography uh, across our house represents different images. We One, one thing that's been really disappointing to me is all of the mainstream children's books are, you know, almost entirely made up of white characters. And so that's something that I don't know that I spent a lot of time thinking about before. But now when I watch TV shows or when I'm reading books to her, I'm thinking, you know, where's the representation of African-Americans? So it sounds like you guys have really been trying to absorb a lot and learn a lot and read a lot. Yeah, we really are doing our best. It seems like when we're at home, we can just be a family. And when I look at my daughter, her race is just a part of who she is. She is a whole child with every need, and I'm trying to meet all of those needs. I, I, just like any mother, I'm like, is she eating enough? Is she eating enough of the right stuff? Race is just one component. But many times when Artie and I go out, race is all some people see. And and we've certainly had lots of really good experiences. One one thing that I just am so grateful for and I really love is the way African American women will teach Adeline how beautiful her skin is by frequently women say things like, Aren't you a beautiful mocha baby? or your little chocolate chip. One woman at Camden, Camden Yards actually says to Adeline, aren't you as chocolate as you want to be? And I just oh, I've always loved that. And as a white person, I never knew that tradition, and I love it, and I want Adeline to know how beautiful she is and how beautiful her skin is. But then there are other experiences we were in Washington, D.C. We went and took a picture outside of the White House, and we were walking. An African-American woman passed us on the street, and she shouts at us in disgust that we had adopted a, as white people a black child. 
I've had people ask me in a in a way that I think was intended to be hurtful if I was the nanny and like demanding to know what our relationship is with each other and sometimes I just want to exist in this world where her race isn't the first thing that people notice when they see our family I just am I guess I'm trying to understand where it comes from um I think that leading with empathy and a desire to understand is the best way to operate in this world so there's a lot that I haven't sorted out I mean really there's a million things that I don't understand and I am doing my best to understand what it takes to parent a black child in this country especially at this time Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So trying to navigate the experience of parenting Adeline isn't the only complicated relationship you guys are balancing right now. Since your former foster sons have gone home, you continue to have a bond with them. And in fact, you are their godparents. What's that been like? Our relationship with the boys, their father and their family has been tremendously rewarding. Really one of the most incredible experiences of my life from the joy that the boys have brought us to to what has happened since the boys went home. The growth that I've seen in Artie and myself. Their father who has custody of them has allowed us to be in their life in every way that we want. He is a kind person, he is a vulnerable person, and he is an open-hearted person, and he has the boys call us, and we spend lots of time together. We see the boys very regularly. So now what I'm trying to figure out is how I can be a sort of halfway parent to the boys they especially the little one has been a little bit confused because he spent most of his life at our house he doesn't understand what house is his house which adults are his primary caregivers and I'm trying to figure out how to be enough for the boys but not too much for their dad and I was so moved at the end of last weekend, actually. I sent their father a text and I said, thanks for letting us have the boys. We had a great weekend. And he wrote back and said to me that they are our kids, our, together. And I just like looked at the message and just tried to absorb it and just tried to feel how good that felt for a moment. 
and to realize that this relationship is so beautiful and unique and we all are in it together and grateful that their father has allowed us to be, you know, part of the boys' lives. These boys that you love so much recently uh, had a terrible loss. Can you tell us about that? A few weeks ago, um, the boy's mother passed away from an overdose. And um, she had worked so hard to get better um, over the course of the time that the boys were with us and before and after. And, um, and experiencing her death was not like anything else that I had been through because now I didn't really know this woman well. We had a number of, you know, times that we had met, but we never had big conversations. So it was like an unshakable sadness despite the fact that I didn't know her very well because I knew what it meant for the boys to lose their mother to see that the boys we love have lost something so big in their life. And another part of it is when I think about Adeline's first mother and I think about the boy's mother, I have always loved these women because they gave me in different ways through the adoption of Adeline and through the the temporary chance to mother the boys, something that I had longed for and never had. And I wanted to give them everything uh, because I felt like they had given me everything. And certainly, you know, not, not talking material-wise, you know, Artie and I don't have much more than what we need. So I'm talking about all of my hopes and prayers and wanting for them to have all that they need to be happy and healthy and live full and complete lives. And to see the boy's mother die of this addiction that she tried to fight is just tragic. It's so tragic. And as foster parents, Artie and I felt like we had, you know, at first it was about fostering the children and it always was about that. But then it was also about how do we support their family? And I just wonder, you know, on some of the conversations I had with the boy's mother on the phone, I remember the last conversation we had she thanked me for being there for her sons when she couldn't. I wonder what more I could have done to be a friend to her, to help her in her battle. Was it, um, what kind of a feeling was it? Because at one point before you got to know the boy's parents, you were, you know, really wishing and yearning to be their mother, and now their mother has passed away. The best way that I've been able to think about it to myself is that I feel a heavy burden. I had wished for something, 
and now this tragic thing has happened and the boys don't have their mother and I'm a woman who's in a position to be a mother figure to them and what am I going to do with that opportunity to love the boys and and be there for them you know it's hard because life is really busy as working parents at with commitments for friends and family and you know cleaning your house and going grocery shopping and all that stuff it's like how do you squeeze everything in how do I give the boys what they need so I'm trying to you know, certainly they have a father and their father is tremendous, uh, is a tremendous father, but they'll need a female role model too. And trying to figure out what that looks like. Artie, you lost your dad when you were young, right? Was that able, did that give you some perspective on helping your older foster son? My dad died of cancer. It was, it was difficult because, um, I didn't talk as much about it as I should have, and I learned a lot later in life that I really needed to talk a little bit more and be open about, you know, what was bothering me about it and um, how <clears throat> how to deal with those issues in a healthy way. And, you know, without, I don't want to be cliche, but without a female presence, sometimes there's not a whole lot of talking among guys about how they feel about things. So, um, you know, Yvonne's there for him too, but I think that, you know, he just needs to talk about it a little bit more. What happened on the day of the funeral? We were invited to attend the funeral by the mother's family and the boy's father. And so I just remember we were all sitting in a row. It was Artie and me and then our older foster son and then their father. And the toddler was just moving in between my lap, his dad's lap, Artie's lap, just with ease and familiarity. And after the service and the burial, we took the boys with us because we wanted to let the family grieve. And we wanted to, you know, we were invited to to have the boys for the day and the night. So we took them to Lake Roland Park with our dogs and, you know, Artie and I and Adeline. And I wanted to... I think nature's really healing and exercise, you know, is good to clear your mind. And, you know, I didn't want to take the boys to some place that would then create a negative association, you know, like this is the place that I went to on the day that my mother was buried. And so we were walking and there's this giant hill and the boys decided that they were going to roll down the hill so they would climb up the hill and they would roll down it and climb up and roll down it. And they were laughing and they were insulated from all of the sadness, at least for that moment, that they were kids and they were playing. And I thought, they're going to be okay. And together, together we're all going to be okay. And we can love each other and be there for each other and help each other along this way so that was um yeah Artie um the boys were with you for quite a long time almost two years in the case of the younger one um what has it been like around the house without them here every day 
The toddler was a very rambunctious child. Um, he would get himself into everything and uh, cause a lot of chaos in our lives, but it was also a good thing that kind of kept us on our toes and smiling all the time. Having him around all the time was was great because we'd wake up with him, we'd go to sleep with him. I was the one that usually ended up putting him to bed, and that was always kind of a special time with us. Watching their day-to-day -day lives, um, watching him start to walk, push things around, talk, have opinions, want to, to try and eat different things. It's been, it was great watching it firsthand and I really do miss that a lot. Um, we still really got a bond and he's still there. It's just not as much as I think I'd like it to be. Yvonne, uh, for years now as a veteran reporter, um, you've spent your life and career telling other people's stories and for the first time you're telling your own. Um, what have you learned? What has it been like? I, I know I used to always tell people for kind of like the significant stories where people needed a lot of courage to, to tell their stories or let us take their picture and put them on the front page and on our website. And I used to say, you know, it'll be okay. You know, if things go wrong, let me know. We'll write about that too. And I realized it's much scarier than... I ever realized we're, you know, Artie and I are really putting ourselves out there <laughs> and um, we, we know that we're going to get all kinds of reaction from people who are inspired to people who are critical to people who think that Adeline should never be with us. So we're expecting feedback across the board and it's really intimidating to put yourself out there. But I know, you know, I, I set out to tell this story because when I was making the decision to become a foster parent, I sought out books and materials to understand what being on this journey really felt like. And there, you know, there's a significant amount of stuff out there, but the stuff that I found didn't tell me what I hoped to learn like the raw experience you know a lot of it is produced by kind of faith-based publications and and I felt like although I do have faith the resolution for me on the moral dilemmas doesn't always come back to this was God's plan I maybe I need to grow in my faith but I needed I wanted a little bit more to help me be guided along there. And anyway, that's what we hope to accomplish. Well, right now, uh, we know in the United States that there's a significant shortage of foster parents in this country. There are something like about 450,000 kids in foster care this year, and there are 125,000 of those children who are ready and waiting to be adopted. Yeah, I think the numbers are staggering. And what I've learned in my research for this series is when I was compiling the numbers, I learned, first off, we as a country don't know too much about foster parents, how many there are, how many exactly are needed. But I guess in, in, in sharing my story and Artie's story and Adeline's story and the boys' experience and their father's, 
is I hope more than anything that we can inspire others to consider giving a child a home temporarily or permanently. I know the children are right here. They're in our city. They're in every city and they're in every state. And when I think about the weight for me, the weight to become a mother, now that I am, and I turn my attention to what else, I realize that the children are waiting. These children are waiting. This has been The Wait. Thank you for joining us on Yvonne's journey. Please let us know what you thought of the podcast by rating it on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Yvonne's story is also being told in words, pictures, and video on our website. Go to baltimoresun.com slash the wait. The producers of this episode are Hallie Miller and Steve Early. And for Yvonne Wanger, I'm Diana Sugg. Bye-bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching fashion trends, pep talks where we give advice, mental health moments, and games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.